Welcome to Jumbie, a podcast all about the monsters that even colonialism couldn't kill. Jumbie is a Creole word from the Caribbean that encompasses all spirits and demons that haunt the multitude of cultures that converge there. On this podcast, we're going to hear dark and haunting stories from local storytellers that are inspired by or about the spirits, monsters, and other cryptids that people surviving colonialism have used to process the horrors inflicted on their communities. This podcast was originally recorded in the fall of 2021, with several episodes originally released between October and December. That original season featured contributions from an individual whose values don't coincide with the intentions of this podcast. However, the stories and insights from those storytellers, including those that have yet to be released, are too valuable not to be shared. The following season of Jumbie has been re-edited to put the focus on the storytellers and the lessons they can teach us. So check your locks, look under your beds, and in your closets, because you're about to listen to Jumbie, Colonized Monsters. On this episode, we have W.H. Vigo. Vigo is a Jamaican-Canadian horror writer based in Toronto. Their work is inspired by their experiences growing up as an immigrant in the city and Caribbean folklore. Combining Western urban legends with the myths and monsters of the equator, they bring a unique brand of terror to international audiences. Now here's Vigo with the story, The Duppy. Sunset Run by W.H. Vigo. Kingston, Jamaica, 1957. Sitting on her grandmother's veranda, Kalisha rubbed her blooming stomach filled with two things, her Sunday dinner of oxtail with rice and peas and the cakes of the child she'd been carrying for seven months. Grandma, the medicine ready yet? She called into the house, slapping a mosquito on the back of her neck. A spot of blood stained her palm. Voila, me soon done, her great-grandmother answered. Kalisha sighed and eased into the rocking chair, rubbing her stomach as the sky darkened and rain began to fall. She took a deep breath and closed her eyes. Soon enough, she heard the sound of her grandmother's slippers shuffling across the floor behind her and turned her head. Here it is, her grandmother said, holding a sealed mason jar. Here's the medicine for your father. Tell him just to take three teaspoons in the morning and three at night. Thank you, Kalisha said, giving the old woman's hand a loving squeeze. The pair chatted until the rain softened and disappeared, Kalisha slipping on her shoes and wrapping the mason jar in a cloth. Her grandmother hugged her. Which way you all go forget home? I don't take the trolley around again. Look, the sun soon go down. Not too dark though. I'm gonna go cut through Miss Aretti's field, Felicia said. Miss Aretti, her grandmother cried, as though speaking the name had burned her tongue. You never hear said him dead the other day. And what a wicked man. God forgive me for saying such a thing, but him did deserve to go. Kalisha bristled at her grandmother's sudden switch from sweet to sour. She only knew Miss Aretti as the local butcher, and from the time one of his cows had escaped, destroying the neighbor's tomato garden. I never know I say I'm dead, 
Kalisha said. What happened? If you ever hear about how many people him take away and kill in I'm slaughterhouse, you might drop a ground, her grandmother replied. Don't crash through him, lad. What if him turn rolling calf? Kalisha laughed. Her grandmother had told her stories about the rolling calf as a child. That wicked butchers transformed into raging hybrids of demon, bull, and human with an appetite for human flesh. That's only one superstition, Grandma. I'll be all right, she said. Her grandmother gave her a sullen look and turned back into the house, coming back a moment later with a palm-sized sack. Me put rice in there, Grandmother said, handing it to her. If rolling calf there out there, throw it away. Cause him love for count and him will stop for count them. Grandma, that's a pure nonsense. But me will take the rice for cook it later. Kalisha giggled. She stood up, stretched her back, and straightened her frock, then hugged her grandmother goodbye. Remember when me tell you, the elder said. Eventually, Kalisha made her way around the winding roads and waving palm trees to Mr. Reddy's old cow field. Mr. Reddy hadn't been terribly good about caring for his property, instead obsessing over his animals. The fence had already begun to crumble from termites, so much so that Kalisha merely stepped through a small gap and onto the grass. As she walked, she breathed in the earthy air and the sweetness of burning Palo Santo wood, both scents unfortunately mixed with the odor of old cow manure. A rustle echoed from the bushes nearby. And she gasped. Hello? Kalisha called. Silence. She exhaled, then giggled to herself. Grandma's evening fables had succeeded in making her uneasy, just like when she was little. With the sky's gradients of purple and orange fading to black, she picked up the pace. Did it really take her so long to get here? It seemed like the sun itself was also in a hurry to leave Miss Aretti's field. Oh boy, she groaned as the baby cartwheeled in her womb. You now go sleep tonight, eh? Having walked through Mr. Reddy's field several times before, she knew something felt different about tonight. There were no crickets, and not a single star had broken through the fresh darkness. It was far more humid than during the day. She sighed, wiping sweat from her forehead, and behind her a bell chimed softly. And Kalisha's heart raced. She twisted her head around the large open field, but nothing. She placed both hands beneath her stomach and pressed forward, the bell chiming louder and almost in time with every step she took. Lord, please make me get home safe, she prayed. Up ahead, Kalisha could make out two glowing amber lights, relief washing over her panic as she marched forward. Perhaps her brother and sister had come looking for her, just as they did at other times when she was late. Robert, Eunice, she called. See the medicine for that, yeah? The amber lights grew into a blazing red, flames flickering high in the twilight. The thunderous ring of a bull echoed through the air. Chills rushing beneath Kalisha's skin, her heart jumping into her throat. A tall, muscular beast with fire for eyes, dark fur, and cracked horns gazed at her, 
standing on two humanish feet curved into heavy cloven hooves. Around its neck, an iron collar dangling with meat hooks and a bloody apron around its waist. Screaming, Kalisha pumped her legs forward as the bull bull chased behind her, the flames in its eyes shooting over its snout. She could barely breathe, her head swimming with panic and exhaustion as she ran, the bottle of medicine feeling weighty as a brick, her stomach a nauseating boulder. The creature snapping her roaring at her nose, tears pouring down her face, the air hot and filled with a raging demon stench, more powerful than the devil's cologne. As Kalisha ran and wept, flames from the bull's maw singed the tips of her hair when she suddenly remembered her grandmother's words. Pulling the bag of rice from her skirt, she threw it over the fence, brains flying through the air. The bull immediately detoured, crashing through the fence and flopping onto its belly, moving bug-like on all fours as it began frantically picking up every grain. Kalisha pushed on with all her might, crossing the field and collapsing onto her knees in front of a small bar where a group of men were playing dominoes. You all right? One asked, helping her onto her feet. You're pregnant. You're not supposed to run. Another said, pulling out a chair. Look like you did see one doppy. Come make we drive you home. Me do it. Me, me really do it. Me do it. She panted a hand clutching at her chest, the other over her belly that jumped with a strong kick. Oh, what you do? A man asked, confused. Kalisha looked at him with wide eyes. Me ultra and me serene. I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. And I came to Canada as a child with my family and I grew up in Toronto. I've always loved writing and it's actually something I'm getting back to after doing the corporate life for 10 plus years. I've decided just to get back to my purpose, which is writing. It's actually a family connection. It's based on my great, great grandmother saying that she had outrun or encountered the rolling calf when she was pregnant, but she actually never told the story. Whatever experience she had just terrified her so much that she never really spoke about it. So I tried to kind of get in her shoes for a moment and see, well, if she were to tell me the story, what might she say? I truly do believe in the Caribbean community. I believe in our culture and our folklore. I really believe in what Jumbi is doing in terms of preserving Caribbean culture and also perpetuating it so more people within and outside of the community can enjoy more of our folklore, our traditions, our legends, our myths. So that's why I did that story. You'll see even um, pre-European colonialism, different tribes, different cultures, they still exchanged and were able to meet up. So, for example, I see like certain parallels with monsters and myths in India that we also have in the Caribbean. So I think it's just a question of cultures meeting. And particularly with colonialism, that was a nightmare scenario. So in my mind, it's only natural that within a nightmare scenario, people are going to exchange nightmares. So in Jamaica, 
Some people still believe in the rolling calf and pretty much they say a wicked butcher, when they die, they transform into a rolling calf. A way to kill a rolling calf, I have not come across, but there are ways to kind of stop or distract it, particularly with money, grains of rice, things like that. It can't help but count. So throwing many of something, and I think there's other monsters and so on in our culture too that are into the counting kind of part of things. Another is sticking a dagger into the ground. Uh, another is whips. So a bull being afraid of, of, of whips and crossroads. So a rolling calf cannot go past the crossroads. But you know that you hear other things too. For example, they say the rolling calf can change form. So some people have even said that it can turn itself into a car. So at daytime, it follows you as a car to just, you know, wait like a cop, you know, it just follows you like a cop in the car and it just waits for you to do stuff. And then it comes out and destroys you like a cop in the car. When you have a staple food, that's life, you know, so you have life versus death in a lot of these stories and we kind of listen to them to see okay how does the main character or characters how do they get in or not get out so I think it's part of that just food as a symbol of life I'm not sure why in particular a butcher I don't know if it's because of how horrific it might be because they're very specific it's not just any and every single butcher it has to be someone of a particular kind of character, somebody who's particularly cruel. And what's one thing that's super cruel, like cruelty to, to animals, right? Like it takes a lot to hurt another being that is unable to, that's completely not on equal footing with you whatsoever in terms of strength and <laughs> political power and so on. So I, I guess... It could relate back to that. Personally, like one of my fears is pregnancy. I think it's a beautiful thing having the capacity to give life. But for some reason, there's just something. And I'm talking about myself personally, not other pregnant people at all. There's just something with me where I get kind of freaked out about it. Not just visualizing the pain of delivery, but just in general. So I'm always wondering like, what, what is the baby doing in there? Like, really, what are they, what are they doing there all day? Just like plotting inside of you. I, I don't know. Like, it just, there's all this mystery. It's a small, confined space. It's quite opaque. You're hoping for the best because everything's out of your control. Like, it's really scary. <laughs> but if anyone's listening and they're pregnant right now, congratulations. And everyone who's crying, I wish you the best. Doesn't it kind of creep you out a bit? Like a living being swimming inside of you. Like it really is creepy the more <laughs> you think about it. I chose a pen name because just some of the content I write sometimes is extreme. And I don't want that associated with my family name. Like that's not fair to my ancestors and family names mean a lot in Jamaica as well. So I decided to go with a pen name. I really, really prize my privacy. So that for me is just the best decision.
So I chose this particular name to kind of demonstrate the constant contrast within myself between heat, so the Caribbean background and everything that comes with, and cold, because of course, like we are affected by our environments. I'm not the same as a Jamaican in Canada as I would be if I were still on the island. So I wanted to acknowledge both of those parts of myself that are both in conflict and in harmony, the light and the shadow work. So I went with WH Vigo, which is winter Harper Vigo. So winter and Vigo, which is, I think, a, a small city in, in Spain where it's hot. So I have been working on two manuscripts. I'm also a member of the Horror Writers Association, and I've done several workshops through them. And I'm also a part of their mentorship program. So I'm being mentored by Brad P. Christie, and it's been a really good experience. I've done some writing competitions and done well there. So I will definitely still be writing and I will be on a bookshelf and hopefully back here with you at Jumbi. Write, just, just write. That's how you find your voice. And the next study, so look at technique, read other horror authors, see what they do, see what their technique is. Read from other authors in your region and especially from different parts of the world. It expands your horizons and it improves your skill and your technique. But be good, no stealing and appropriation and all that. Oh no, none of that. Like the first draft is always garbage. So just know that your first draft is not gonna be the best, but that's not the point. The point is to just write it down and to just keep going. Don't stop, don't listen to anybody that's trying to discourage you. If you have a story inside you, make sure that it's told. I actually spent my whole summer in Jamaica. So I was gone for three months and I wasn't on vacation. I, I was just out there living. I was living. Out there. I know every time I go home, people are like, are you on vacation? As if people don't live in the Caribbean. Like it's just some obscure vacation destination. My feelings and thoughts on the appropriation of Jamaican culture. I encourage people to be respectful. And I encourage people to actually sit down and read and get to know our culture, whether that's through literature or film or talking with other Jamaican people. We have a history and these cultural artifacts you are enjoying don't come out of nowhere. In many cases, when you look into it, it comes from a place of pain and strife and pretty much like all of the Caribbean countries and the Black diaspora worldwide, we took lemons and made lemonade. So in many cases, you are enjoying the fruits and the labors of our ancestors, trying to pass traditions and practices and beliefs onto us in an environment that was hostile and an environment where this wasn't allowed. We shouldn't be telling Roland Calf and Duffy and Jombi and Anansi stories. This was never meant to be because all of the colonialists, the settlers tried to eradicate and they spared no expense and no effort in doing so. So I hope people do understand and appreciate that you are pretty much partaking in the fruits of their suffering. And I hope folks are more mindful of that and are therefore respectful knowing that, hey, there's this culture that 
very open and very accepting of people regardless of their skin color and their ethnicity. But just because we're like that, it doesn't mean that it's it's playtime and that people shouldn't respect our culture or our ancestors. People just, they really have to keep in mind, we're not cartoons, we're not caricatures, we are people. So in the same way that you're not gonna like, I don't know, put on a Mountie costume and go marching through the streets with maple syrup and oh yeah, I'm Canadian, eh? And oh, how about them Dharma beliefs? Oh yeah, but it like you would probably feel offended if somebody was doing that and thinking that is legit Canada. And well, if you have something else to say, I, I don't need to listen to you because Canadians are, you know. You can visit me at whvigo.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at whvigo. And I'm looking for a new home for my writings. I will find one soon and you can find them on the website. I'm still producing short stories. So if folks are interested and they want to see more, they can. One manuscript right now I'm working on is called Craven. And it's a collection of short stories mixing Caribbean myths and monsters with Western urban legends. So for instance, one of my stories, I have a demon stalking a gang during the initiation process in downtown Toronto. I have another story called With Teeth, where there are parasites growing in the teeth of small children. But these are no ordinary parasites. They eventually grow large enough to pilot the host with the host still conscious and knowing. So we're having an entire town of this. So if folks want to know more, they can follow me and find out more about the Craven project. You got to go on the website. You're listening to Jumbie. Produced and edited by Dev Ramsewa. Music by Z Thompson. Sound effects are Creative Commons sounds from freesound.org. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget to check those dark, shadowy corners. <laughs>